Hello, let's start this with a brief prayer. This is the brief for The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Great Disciple Series. This will be a biographical profile of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Before we start, let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this time, this opportunity to glorify your name. Thank you for allowing us to understand the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and how he lived even to the death, his fervent belief in you. And he followed you, Lord, wherever you led. Bless us to be like him. Bless us to learn from him. Bless us to be bold in our faith and to follow you wherever you might lead us. Father, may this help and bless the listener to better follow you, to lead wherever you go to take your lead and love you with all their hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, let's start. This is the introduction. Let's start with a little bit about who was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And so, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a great theologian. He got his PhD at the age of 21. He, uh, as it turns out, was the son of an aristocratic family in Germany, and he happened to come up in the time of Hitler. And so what should a true believer do in the time of Hitler? Well, Dietrich had some strong thoughts about that, and it included, uh, you could get a good idea of what those thoughts were from the story that he told about a crazed driver and what should be done about the crazy driver. So imagine there's a driver who's going berserk, and he is driving into a crowd, and he is killing people and injuring them. What is the responsibility of the people? Dietrich would say the responsibility of the people is to assist the people that were injured, but also to take out the, the crazed driver who is causing the injury to others. So growing up in Nazi, hit in Nazi Germany, in his mind as a believer, his mission was clear. He felt he needed to take out the crazed driver who was leading the country into ruins and leading the world into ruins, in his view. That was Hitler. As a result of that, he became a a spy who worked in the Abawar, their um, intelligence agency, and worked as a double agent, seeking to let the rest of the world know what Hitler was really doing, especially what he was doing with the churches, and also using that as a means to save some Jews who were, of course, being persecuted to the death by Hitler. So just a few details here. He was born in 1906. Um, he got an education in Christian discipleship, really primarily from an African-American church that he attended in Harlem, where he saw a church fighting for social justice. He saw a church taking a stand against a moral evil. He saw a church being a church, being sanctified. He saw a church going out from day to day, not just on Sundays, but from day to day, striving to make a difference in the community, striving to make a difference one with another, working to love one another. And so from this, he got a great idea about what Christian discipleship was. And it was a big part of him writing a book called The Cost of Discipleship. So um, he also was a proponent of what I'd call an active Christianity. And so in this view of Christianity, you are obligated to work. And you are obligated to bring Christianity as the Lord leads you 
to the people, not to be led by them. Sort of puts you in mind of, of Isaiah, whom the Lord told me, he said, you must influence them. They must not influence you. I can remind you also of Isaiah, who said he set his face like flint. In other words, he wasn't going to change. He wasn't going to turn, be turned from his mission. And that's how it was with Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He felt he wasn't going to be turned from his mission. So he gave us a different picture of Christianity than was popular at the time. It was a muscular Christianity, I'd call it. And it called for the believer, first of all, to really follow Christ. He felt that you could know what Christ's will was and that Christ would issue a call that you as a believer would have to would be obligated to follow and it would involve suffering just as it involved suffering for Christ. And then in addition to that he uh he knew that it could cost him everything. And indeed he was prepared for that. So with that Let's get started looking at him in more detail. Brief one, early life. So it turns out Dietrich was actually a twin. He had a twin sister named Sabine, and they were both born in 1906. They were born to a mother named Paula, who was an aristocrat, quite wealthy, to a father, Carl, who was a psychiatrist, on the par, really, of someone like Sigmund Freud. Uh, thought it as being an incredible psychiatrist. And in addition, he had seven other siblings for a total of eight children in the family. He and his sister Sabine, who was probably his closest of all of the children being twins, they would sit up in the middle of the night when they were six years old and they would talk about, after the lights were turned off, what it would be like after, after death. What would eternity be like? And they would guess and speculate about it. And they grew up in an area called Breslau, which eventually became a part of Poland, but at the time was firmly in Germany. Um, and they were there until he was around um, six years old, I believe, six, seven years old. And his father took a new position at the University of Berlin, which required them to move. Now, prior to this time, he'd had a rich early life full of music and art. He became a, quite a good piano player, and they did a lot of hiking and hunting because they lived in really a, a, a pretty rural area. So he got to do a lot of hiking and hunting, but he really had an aversion to hunting because he, was, he really didn't like taking a life. And then something pretty momentous happened, and that was July the 28th, 1914. A Serbian by the name of Garilo Princip assassinated Archduke Ferdinand of Austria when he was visiting the Bosnian city of Sarajevo. And so at this point, Germany, Austria-Hungary, and the Ottoman Empire uh, formed up against the allied powers of France, which included, besides France, the UK, Russia, Italy, Japan, the US, Serbia, Belgium, Greece, Montenegro, Romania. And after this war started, his older brother was quite excited to go and participate in Walter Bonhoeffer. And he went off to war, and no sooner than it had a couple of weeks gone by than he was actually killed in the war. It was quite hard on his mother. Uh, she actually got so depressed she had to go and live with the neighbors. She couldn't handle the responsibility of dealing with the kids. 
even though they had a number of household servants who did things like the cooking and um, made were maids and also had a nanny for the kids. But she had to go to the neighbors because of the depression that she felt when she lost her son, Walter. And so this also created a bit of a crisis for Dietrich because he had to figure out his mother taught them about God. She told them about the Bible stories there. Um, they sung and sort of had church at home when they as children. And so he had to ask himself the question, why would a good God let his, let his brother die? And so he also had an experience that, that shaped his view of Christianity when he met General Bramwell Bruth, who was the lead, the head of the Salvation Army, and he attended a service that was unlike any he had been to before, full of singing and preaching. And for the first time, he actually felt something when someone preached. I believe he felt the anointing of Christ at that. And at this time, due to the war, there was a great deal of inflation that happened where uh, things like uh, mills ended up costing him a billion marks. Um, something like a 100,000 mark insurance policy would only buy a bottle of wine and some strawberries. Brief two, becoming a great theologian. A quote from Bonhoeffer was, the ultimate test of a moral society is the kind of world that it leaves for its children. And things had gotten really bad in Germany by this point. The people were eating turnips, which in Germany, they fed turnips to horses, so they considered this horse food, about as low as it gets. Even the potatoes were gone. At this point, Bonhoeffer had become quite good on the piano, and he had informed his family that he desired to become a theologian. Now, this was quite a shock to his parents and his brothers and sisters, considering that he had a brother who was a physicist, another brother who was uh, interested in such things as, as law. Um, he had a soon-to-be a brother-in-law who was a lawyer, and the sciences were very much on the forefront at this time. And so that's kind of what everyone expected him to do. But he also had a grandfather and an uncle who were theologians. And his mother supported him in this. And he remembered a nice token of support that she gave to him. She gave him his brother Walter's Bible. You may recall Walter's the brother who died in World War I. And so he went off to college, the University of Tübingen, when he was 17 years old. And he pledged a fraternity called the Hedgehogs, which was the same fraternity his father had pledged. And it's there that he had his first encounter with anti-Semitism. Not knowing it, his fraternity would not accept Jews. But he ran into a Jewish friend and quickly discovered that it would be impossible for his fraternity to accept a Jewish pledge. So he transfers to the University of Berlin, where he can focus more on academics, no focus on fraternities or the social scene. He takes a trip, his first trip out of Germany, he takes it to Italy. So he goes to Bologna, to Rome, to Naples, to Sicily, and he sees for the first time Italian Catholics and how they worship. And so he saw how religious rituals 
could be used to bring a person closer to the divine. And he also saw there at the Catholic Church, Italians, Russians, Greeks, French, and British folks all worshiping together. And so he started to come to this idea that he had of the universality of the church, that it's the church knows no ethnic, no ethnic boundaries, no geographic boundaries. It's the people who are pursuing Jesus together as a community. And then he traveled to Tripoli in northern Africa, where he saw for the first time Arabs and Bedouins. And he actually, even actually got to go to an Islamic mosque, which was an experience he described as awe-inspiring. And he came back from all these journeys with the question, what is the church? He'd been influenced somewhat by Barth, who had a view of Christianity that it was based on the Bible, that God is transcendent, that is, he's beyond something that we can know, except by revelation. And that revelation typically comes primarily from studying the Bible. And he helped to see his twin sister get engaged to a Jewish man, as a matter of fact. Uh, she got engaged at the age of 18. And he wrote a 380-page book called The Communion of Saints. Um, and it was focused on the universality of the church. He descended his thesis in 1927 and received his Ph.D. at the age of 21 years old. He graduated summa cum laude, which he was the only one in his class to receive this honor, which of course made him number one in his doctorate class. So after earning his Ph.D. in theology, his first pastorate, so to speak, was in Barcelona. And he was really an assistant pastor there and a Sunday school teacher. And initially it was difficult for people to understand him because he had some very complex ideas. But it showed him how to really relate to regular people. Before this, he'd primarily been around aristocrats, um, the upper class, I guess you could say. And for the first time, he was really around the working class. And one story that's talked about is just a little example of the kind of things he did to get people to come to church was he had a young man who was troubled. His mother had come and told him. And so to get him to come, what he did was first the young man ignored him and told his mother he wanted some coffee. So Bonhoeffer followed him into the kitchen and poured his coffee for him. And then he told the young man that it was dangerous for his mother to walk to church alone and that he needed to be escorted. And that was how he got him to come. And so he got his, his Sunday school classes up to, to 40 people from one. And he, um, loved, he loved Barcelona. He did some postgrad studies while he was there looked into how to prove God's existence and wrote a book called Acting and Being, which was an, another really powerful paper. And he also loved the bullfight, surprisingly, while he was there. And then something happened pretty eventful again, the 1929 stock market crash. America called in her loans to Germany. And prior to that, Germany had been recovering from the World War I debts that had been laid on her, the burdens that had been laid on her. But with this, Germany was plunged into financial ruin once again. Brief four, coming to America. The Union Theological Seminary in New York. Dietrich was a person who was also very curious and learned a lot from traveling and seeing different cultures. So he came on the ship Columbus in 1930 to the United States. While he was there, the Nazis went from 12 seats in the Reichstag to 107 seats. 
the Reichstag's the equivalent of the U.S. Congress. He went to New York City, and while he was there, he visited all the usual touristy things, Times Square, Broadway, etc., etc. But one of the more significant things, he didn't learn a lot of theology at Union Theological Seminary, as he said, there was practically no theology from his standpoint being around some of the great minds in in Europe at the time, um, in, in, as far as theology was concerned, he saw nothing equivalent to that in the United States. But what he did have to happen, it was quite significant to his development, especially his thinking about the church, about discipleship, which became the core of his philosophy, was he, he met a guy named Frank Fisher, who became a really good friend of his, who's African-American, and he took him to Abyssinian Baptist Church in Harlem, New York. And so what he saw for the first time was a church really being a church Monday through Saturday in addition to Sunday. And so he saw the way that they served one another, the way that they got involved in each other's lives. He saw the way that they reached out to the brothers and sisters in the South to try to help them uh, with the great levels of segregation, uh, the lynchings, all the things that were happening. He experienced it. He saw how segregation happened when he would travel with Frank, how he, you know Frank had to sleep in different places, ride on different trains from time to time, go to different restaurants. Everything was based on race. And so he came to get this idea of the church as an instrument for social justice and the church as a community of people in pursuit of God's will, and that that might include impacting the larger society in a way that cost them something. During this time, he also made a couple trips, one to Cuba and drove down to Mexico. So he got to see quite a few things while he was in America. Dietrich's now 25 years old, and he returns to Berlin with the rise of the National Socialist German Workers' Party, the Nazis. And what he experienced when he got back was he saw a great rise in the level of anti-Semitism. Adolf Hitler was on the rise. Jewish students were being physically attacked. He moved into a poor district where he had students, and he rented a second-room floor of a bakery. And he had a lot of poor students, and one of the acts of kindness was he had suits made for every student that needed it for their graduation. In the 1932 elections, the Nazis got to 230 seats in the Reichstag. And in 1933, Hitler became the Führer. And Baumhofer immediately does a radio address denouncing him. Interestingly, this radio address was cut short. And a lot of folks think that that was likely censorship that was already taking place. A fire happened in the Reichstag and Hitler used it, calling it a terrorist incident. And he used it to basically take control uh, of the country. A lot of the levers of the country said it was a conspiracy to take over Nazi leadership. So he got the president to suspend the Constitution and declare martial law. And he was appointed by the German president to be chancellor at this point. He got phone calls tapped, letters read, houses searched, and children questioned. Basic democratic rights were given up because he created fear of communists. And then he gets something called the Enabling Act passed that allowed him to pass laws without parliament. So now he's coming very close to holding all the power and he decrees that all jobs must be held by Aryans. He attacked the Jews. 
He claimed that they controlled foreign newspapers, and that was the reason for their criticism of Nazi Germany. He had his fellow German citizens boycott Jewish stores and businesses. And in response to this, Dietrich preached a sermon, The Church and the Jewish Question. And in that sermon, he said a church must speak up when the government opposes the teachings of Jesus Christ. And he said a church has an obligation to help church members that are victims of the government. And in this case, they had an obligation to help the Jewish people fight any discrimination. Now, this did not go without criticism and other church pastors having a very different view because they wished to take the safe route. But he felt the church had a duty to stand up to Hitler because, uh, you know, it was part of being a believer. Back to that crazy driver, you know, injuring people. The Nazis, they turned to burning books by Jewish authors. And in fact, anybody whose writings they viewed as dangerous to the cause, so they're controlling the message. Eventually, they would extend this to the churches, where they would control what the churches could say, what they couldn't say. In fact, they would take the Bibles and change the Bibles, taking out anything they felt was too Jewish, including the entire Old Testament. And so the Gestapo visit Dietrich in 1933 and tell him, stop or else, you know, we're going to send you off to a concentration camp. Brief six, moved to London, 1933. So Dietrich moves to London and he defies the Nazis from there. He makes some influential connections with some of the British pastors and he's informing them what's going on, what's really going on in Germany. And so he refuses to sign a piece of paper stating he would not speak negatively about Nazi Germany after he was called by the Reichstag office. In 1934, Hitler sends stormtroopers to kill his political opponents. He takes out both external opponents as well as internal opponents. A group called the SA that was headed by Rom. He has Rom killed and most of the members of the SA, which was a paramilitary force, he didn't have full control over, and he consolidates his power. In the meantime, what happens with, B- with, ne- with uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer is that he preaches a sermon. And in it, he preaches a sermon about what peace is. He says that peace for the believer is placing oneself in line with God's will. That it's not worldly security, but faith and obedience to Christ. Brief 7, Northeast Germany, Pomerania. Here, Dietrich taught seminary students. And so he taught them, and primarily they had to read, they had to sing, they had to pray. And what he'd often do in the morning is he'd make them meditate on a single Bible verse for 30 minutes or more. And they could only come back when they understood the relevance of the verse to the day. And the reason he did it was because these were going to be pastors. And his belief was that if you were going to preach, then your preaching had to come from the Lord. And But how could it come from the Lord if you couldn't hear him? So this was his way of preparing them to be pastors. And with other churches, they worked in this area to actually resist, theologically, the Nazis. He wrote The Cost of Discipleship here. That's another book that we briefed that you can take a look at and listen to the brief that we've already got up on on ChristianBrief.com. And he was terminated at the University of Berlin. They stopped him from speaking there because Hitler was requiring Protestant pastors to swear an oath to him, something that he would not do. And in 1938, Hitler's stormtroopers attack and they ransack Jewish homes and they burn synagogues. 
And it's called Kristallnacht, the Night of the Burning Glass. And they kill Jewish folks. The Gestapo bring Dietrich in, but they release him after he makes a promise to never come back to Berlin. It's at this point that he joins a military intelligence group called the Abelwehr with the goal of overthrowing Hitler. So he returns to Germany. Well, he takes a brief trip to America. It really only lasts a month. And then he turns around and heads back to Germany. He went back to the Union Theological Seminary where they were trying to get him out of trouble. But kind of like Jonah, he felt he was running from where God wanted him. And he knew he had to go back. He had to continue to fight against, against Hitler and what Hitler was doing. So he returns, takes on the role of a double agent, and now he begins to act. He pretends he supports the Nazis, but he creates an intelligence link with Great Britain, Norway, Sweden, Denmark, and Switzerland, and he's feeding them information about what's really happening in Germany, and he's continuing to get Jews out who are threatened by the Nazis. In 1943, he's taken into custody by the Gestapo to Tajai Military Prison, and he writes from prison some of his best works, sort of similar to Martin Luther King's letters from a Birmingham jail. And then in July 20th, 1944, uh, one of many, actually three different assassination attempts, the Albert were tried on Hitler. The first one they tried, they tried to blow up a plane that he was on, the bomb never, never went off. The second time, a guy was going to do a suicide bombing, kill himself and blow up, and blow up Hitler. But Hitler only stayed a couple minutes and left before he could detonate the bomb. And the third time, a briefcase was left under the table. This was in 1944. And it actually went off and killed a number of the people, but somehow Hitler managed to escape. And after the attempted assassination of, of Hitler, there were a lot of inquiries and investigations, and they outed Bonhoeffer as an agent in the resistance. They actually found letters that he had written personally that show clearly he was a spy. So he was transferred to the Buchenwald concentration camp, then to the Flossenburg concentration camp, where they stripped him of his clothes, marched him to the gallows, and hanged him, April 9th, 1945. Less than two weeks later, the concentration camp was actually captured by the Allies. And April the 30th, um, he was hanged, hanged on April 9th, 1945, on April the 30th, Hitler commits suicide, and in May, Germany surrenders. And so what we have here is a man who had a number of beliefs about what Christianity was all about. The great thing about, about, about Dietrich Bonhoeffer was he was not a man who just preached the word, but he lived it. So what are the top takeaways? These are the four top things I took from looking at the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. First, true Christianity involves the church remaining holy and yet changing the world, being salt and light for real. The second thing is the true church is a suffering church. The third thing is truth and justice are always worth fighting for, no matter what the cost. And the fourth thing is the least of these must be fought for. In Nazi Germany, that was the Jews. That was the homosexuals, the gypsies, the handicapped, those who were looked down upon and despised. And that was who Dietrich fought for. How about you? What has God called you to do? Find your fight and get in it. Hi, thank you for listening to this brief. We have plenty more at ChristianBrief.com 
That's C-H-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-B-R-I-E-F.com. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and hope you check out some of the other briefs at ChristianBrief.com.